0: If you've been a part of this congregation for a year or more, you know that Pentecost is a holiday we celebrate in a big way here, and we're in process of preparing for Pentecost at this time. You remember the celebration of Pentecost. Pentecost was that day when the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and those who are gathered, and... um It's essentially the birthday of the church. So in the Christian calendar, we celebrate Easter as the high point of the church year. We're generally trying to do one per family here. Oh, I think Gary may get to the other side. And then Christmas is the incarnation, so we celebrate that in a big way. The third big Sunday of the year is Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church. It's where we start thinking about what the Spirit might do in us. And, you know, it's two weeks away. In this church, we all wear red on Pentecost Sunday. Hand one of those down to Frank, if you would. And we have sweets in the lobby, which are for the kids. I'm sorry, Gloria. We have sweets in the lobby for the kids. We'll do extra things in the service. And I'm going to take an offering on Pentecost. And the Pentecost offering is not a cash offering. It's puzzle pieces this year. And the puzzle piece I handed to you today is just an example of what you might use. You can create your own puzzle piece. That's perfectly fine. And I want you to write some things on that puzzle piece when you bring it back for Pentecost. It's a a different kind of offering. You know, we've been in the book of Hebrews since January, and I felt this morning that I needed to put the final piece of the puzzle in place and then offer you the opportunity to to participate with me in the doing of this. These puzzle pieces will eventually end up on the wall in our prayer room upstairs so that you'll know the destination of the puzzle piece once you work on completing it. This offering is also a prayer project. It is an attempt to get us all thinking in the same direction and praying in the same direction. You'll remember that the Pentecost, the day it occurred, the disciples were all in one room praying together. There was a unity in that prayer that was moving them in a particular direction. And I would like these puzzle pieces to sort of help us focus in a direction and pray in a direction for the year that's ahead. I'll give you a few more details as the sermon continues. And we've spent all this time uh, in Hebrews, trying to understand how amazing, majestic, how cosmic this Jesus is whom we serve. And for the most part, we've listened to hear what we should do in response to that. But there's a an occupational hazard in that kind of thinking. When I'm always listening to think about what I can do, there's the potential for me to hear that the expression of my Christianity is an individual activity. It's just what I do. And we forget it's also, maybe even more importantly, about what we do together. We're always born into a family. The kingdom of God is a collective, and we are all parts of it. And so we move forward together, together. It's not just about what I do individually. And if we're going to understand it together, we've got to get Jesus and his plan to love the world back into the center of things, in the center of our mind, in the center of our lives. And as long as we continue to place ourselves in the center of things, things get out of balance in a hurry. We may do well for a while, but... We've got to get Jesus into the center of things. We've got to get his plan to love the world into the center of our lives and see how we fit into him rather than how he fits into us. I think this is the final piece of the puzzle, making certain that Jesus is central and that we are entering his story rather than thinking that we are the center of the universe and trying to fit him into our story. This is the final piece that keeps everything appropriately ordered. When we gather in services like this, we sing songs that often have lyrics like this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, or holy is the Lord God Almighty. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Glory to God. And I wonder... When we sing words that say things like glory to God, what do we mean by that? We've been told, the catechism says, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to worship him forever. Um, What does it mean? How do you bring glory to God and for what purpose? And one of the things I'd like to suggest this morning is that we bring glory to God when our actions point others to God. For that to happen, first of all, our actions have to be consistent with our words. And when our words and our actions match, when those words and actions are unexpectedly loving and compassionate and kind and just and accepting, then God is glorified. Why does God want to be glorified? I mean, does he need the ego strokes? Does he like being well thought of? Does he have a bad self-esteem and needs us to help him build it up? No, none of that. He wants to be glorified because he has a plan in mind. He is on a mission. He is trying to do something in our world. And when we, his children, put into action with consistency the very love he came to reveal, well, that gives human credibility to the claims that Jesus made about his father. Whenever Christians demonstrate God-like love, God receives glory for that, and others are encouraged to believe that there is a loving God in the universe. That's the reason God wants glory. We are the visible expression of God in the world. And the world believes about God, what the world has seen in us. We are God's walking advertisements. I don't know if that makes you say yay or makes you say, I mean, what kind of advertisement are you? I mean, you know folks, some are Christian, who say, you know, I don't want to put a Christian bumper sticker on my car because I don't have to drive like a Christian. I don't want anyone to identify who I am by my poor driving habits. So if people, for the most part, know about God by the way we behave, what are your friends learning about God from you? They're learning whether your God is reliable based on how reliable you are. They're learning whether your God is compassionate based on how compassionate you are. They are learning about how honest your God is based on how honest you are. They are learning about how accepting your God is, based on how accepting you are of others, especially those who are different than you. That's not particularly fair, is it? That God gets the rap for who you are? But it's part and parcel of the fact that he is working in us by the work of the Holy Spirit, to transform us into the kind of people we were, into the kind of people who can reflect positively on who he is, because he knows that for for better or worse, what people see in us is what they'll think of him. And we want to bring glory to God, not scandal to God. We want to live in ways that that truly reflect his character. What are your neighbors learning about God from you? One of the reasons it's critical that we have this shift from seeing ourselves at the center of the universe to placing Christ at the center of the universe is that kind of orientation is completely apparent to the people who watch us. People know whether we're self-absorbed or not. They just know that. You know that about your friends, don't you? You know which friends are all about themselves, or which friends have time for you. You know which friends are only ever motivated by their own personal gain, or which of your friends are generous. You know that right away. And this is the basic transformational piece of Christianity. It's, it's the reason why the church of the Nazarene exists because we believe it's possible by the work of the Holy Spirit to change, to be different, and to not be completely self-absorbed, but to actually enthrone Christ in the center of who we are so that we can love others, so that we can serve others. This, This shift from being all about yourself to attempting to glorify God by the way you care for others, this is central to our ability to participate with Christ in the mission of God. He is making his case through you. He's trying to communicate to humanity that they are loved and that love is the only way forward. He wants to be known by your friends initially through you But eventually, he wants all of your friends to be full members of the family as well. So how's that going to happen? How do we get to the place where your friends become his friends? How's that possible? The relationships that you are in right now are God-ordained. You have the ability to reveal or conceal God in every relationship you have. Each of us who are in the family of God operate in three different circles of relationship. Let me show you a little bit of what I mean. George is going to help me with a slide here. The first circle of relationship that we all live in who are Christian is a closed circle. I use this circle, this is not my idea, this is from an author, David Fitch, um, to, to symbolize... The fellowship, the Christian fellowship we have within the body of Christ. It's an intimate fellowship. It's marked by uh, the communion meal that we celebrate together. And, and within this very intimate fellowship, we support one another. We encourage one another. But we get a lot of support in this closed fellowship. But it, it's somewhat closed because it's comprised of those who are already in the family of God. It's a rich fellowship, but it's a somewhat closed fellowship. We all operate within this circle, and we should, because that's what it means to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his light, brought into this family of God. But there's a second arena in which we all operate. This is a broken circle, and the broken circle is The expressions of our fellowship where we specifically focus on inviting folks from the outside in to experience what our life is like in Christ. Our small group ministry can be like this. Our block party is especially like this where we create opportunities that are designed to interact with friends who are not yet in the kingdom but whom we hope will become members of the kingdom so they can understand the love God has for them. And so they can be supported and encouraged and and get to know gradually what it means to know the love of God. The reason we call it a broken circle is because there's ways in. See those little spots there? There's ways into this circle, whether you're a part of the family of God or not, because our love isn't restricted just to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to love every person on the planet. And so we operate in this arena. It's still an arena where we're pretty much in charge of what goes on, but we're inviting folks onto our turf to experience the fellowship of the body of Christ. But there's another arena in which we all operate, and it's the half circle. And in the half circle, we recognize, well, this symbolizes all those relationships that we are part of, that we participate in, in which we exercise no control, in which we are not in charge, in which we are not on our turf. These are the things that we go out in the world to do and we meet folks and we interact with folks in these particular settings. It may be that you are on the town planning committee And when the town planning committee meets, you interact with people who are on the town planning board, and you talk. It's not a Christian setting. There's no Christian agenda. There won't be a prayer at the beginning of the meeting. But you will take Christ with you wherever you go. So regardless of which arena you're operating in, Christ comes with you in every arena, if you permit in every arena i think there's some passages of scripture that help us understand how these arenas are different but encourages us to be his ambassadors in all three of them the first passage of scripture is 1 peter 4:8 above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins This is our work within the closed circle, where we're working together in the body of Christ. In our activities within the closed circle of our communion, Jesus must be glorified. And our agenda there is to build others up to encourage them so that they can continue to do the same kinds of things that will communicate God's love to the world. There's a second scripture 2 Corinthians 5, we begin to understand that we bring and invite folks from the outside into our fellowship because God wants everyone to join his family. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 reads, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear the transformational grace in that? God transforms us so that we can become the righteousness of God, so that other folks can actually hear the message of God's love and receive it for themselves. That's the symbol of this broken circle, that folks can come in, they can hear about the joy that we have in serving Jesus, they can understand how much God loves them, they can recognize that God does not condemn them, that he accepts them as they are, that he wants to be in fellowship with them, and if they will just Step in, he'll embrace them. That's the work of the broken circle. We invite friends to come with us to see what happens. You remember when Jesus calls his disciples and they say, you know, Jesus, where are you going? And he answers them, not like Bolton or, you know, Vernon. He says, come and see. It's not that the destination is a geographical point. The destination is this journey Come and be with me. Come and walk with me and let's, let's see where things go together and you will understand that the journey is the destination, that walking with Jesus is its own reward and that he loves us and wants us to be a part of this fellowship and, and that's his mission in the world. But it's not just bringing folks in to our fellowship so they can walk with us and learn of Jesus. There's a third arena and it's the critical arena of the half circle. This is what Romans 10, 11 says. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching or speaking to them? And how can anybody preach or speak unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This third half circle is all about being sent. To whom are you sent? Where in your life is this arena where you encounter non-Christian folks who really have no desire to be Christian? But in those relationships, you're still called to bring glory to God in some way. How, how do you do that? How do you demonstrate the compassion and love of Christ when you're not in a Christian setting, when you're not in control of the circumstances of the event. When you're just out there doing life with folks who maybe don't even believe that there is a God. As you consider these three circles, the closed circle, the broken circle, the half circle, these are, these are three arenas in which we all exist and move. And, and what, what I want to ask this morning is, Where are you going to focus your attention? I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and will, will bring names or situations to your heart and say, here's a place where you should pay attention. You say, Pastor, why do you believe that? Because Jesus is actively on mission in our world. We know he's doing it. The scriptures are clear about it. We're told that the Holy Spirit goes before us and begins to wake folks up to the spiritual condition of their souls. So if the Holy Spirit is already working in lives, you're going to find situations that you step into where a conversation will begin and you'll recognize, oh, God has already been speaking in this situation. Because this conversation is a lot further along than I thought it would be. I haven't yet spoken about God, but they're asking me about God. Have you had that experience? Where someone's asked you what you thought about God? If you've had that experience, you should know that the Holy Spirit has already been active in that person's life, and he's inviting you to step into the conversation and to continue the conversation in whatever sphere you find that relationship. And so I think that we can be certain that the Holy Spirit's working. It's whether or not we'll step into the conversations he's already initiated for us. And I think that if we pray over the next two weeks and consider where God would direct us, or are, are there people we should be paying attention to, or Lord, are there conversations that are going on that I need to step into I would like us to pray for a focus for the next two years, for the next two weeks, so that by Pentecost, when you come back in, you'll bring a puzzle piece, and somehow on it, you will indicate what you think God is pointing you towards. It may be a first name. It may be certain houses in your neighborhood. It might be an organization in your neighborhood. I don't know what it is, or who it is, or where it is, that God's going to draw your attention. But I fervently believe he will draw your attention to something, that he will grant you a focus because it's the very thing he wants to do, and he's calling us to participate in his mission in the world. And so I'd like you to take your puzzle piece or create another one and find some way to demonstrate what your focus is going to be for the next year. And when you come back on Pentecost, I'd like you to bring this puzzle piece. And we're going to put them all on the wall up in the prayer room so that all year we can be praying with you towards the focus that you have in mind. Now, there's a level of vulnerability in this. I would rather you not put first and last names on the paper. Just first names, if they're individual people. But if they're organizations, put as much as you want on there. It may be that you live on a a block with eight houses on it, and you just want to draw a map of your block and put the eight houses in there. And maybe over the next two weeks, you gather some information about who lives in those houses, and you figure out a little key to the map. It may be that you talk to your kids about this, and as a family, together, you begin to pray about how God will use you to make a difference in the world. Because I think if we're all praying about this together, if we're all focusing on where God wants us to focus, we can encourage one another to accomplish this work, which is the mission of Jesus Christ, to just love the world. To just love the world. And to help everyone know how much Jesus loves them. We really don't have any other agenda than that, do we? Just to let folks know that Jesus loves them and let him initiate relationships with as many folks as he's able. Because he's not willing for any to perish. He wants every person on the planet to know him, to understand his love for them, and to step into that love. So would you join me in the offering for Pentecost? It's two Sundays away. And would you let this piece be the final piece in the puzzle, the piece that gets us away from being self-centered, that invites Christ to be central in our life, Christ and his mission, and that enables us to focus on the fulfillment of his mission in the world. I don't know which realm you're going to focus on or operate in this year specifically in terms of the kingdom. We get called to all kinds of different things. For some of you, the expression of your ministry may be within the church. For some, it may be outside the walls of the church. And some, it may be in places we haven't even thought of yet. But I'm confident the Holy Spirit will reveal that to you as you ask him to. And then I hope you'll bring back a bunch of puzzle pieces. Because once they're in the prayer room... We can go up there and we can pray for all those puzzle pieces and know that God will be glorified by the way we demonstrate his love to others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, send us with purpose into the arenas where we can accomplish your work. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but we trust that you are at work because we've come to know your love for everyone. Transform us that we might be your useful ambassadors in the world. And may all of this happen to your glory so that the kingdom of God may prosper and so that together we may see your peace and righteousness reign in our world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And now may the God of peace equip you with every good thing for doing his will. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.